Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode six of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and joining me today is my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Alex, and hello, fans. <laughs> yes, it's been a little while since we've done a podcast last. Um, since the last time we did one of these, I actually got a new room in L.A. I was previously staying at a friend's place, but now I've got a place of my own in Sherman Oaks, uh, California. So... Things have been going well on my end, you know, keeping uh, busy at work and stuff. And uh, now we're, we finally have time to do a podcast again, and we're a mere two weeks away from the start of the season, even less than two weeks, as a matter of fact. So we're really getting to the, the crunch time, you know. The season is upon us, and college football fans across the country are getting excited. That's right. And, and all the, the big decisions, all those coaches that, you know, are having to make their decisions about who's going to start, you know, at left tackle and who's going to start at quarterback and and oh my gosh, we don't have any defensive ends and things of that nature. Mhm. That's right. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that with Nebraska when we get to that. Yes, um, we will. But but first things first, we're going to talk about the uh the national perspective on uh, what's been going on in the past 2 or 3 weeks since we last did a podcast. And the first thing we wanted to talk about were some of the preseason polls that have been coming out recently. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, bottom line is most of the major polls now are all out. It was historic here recently uh, with the AP poll uh, being a unanimous for the first time since the AP poll was created, a unanimous uh, preseason number one uh, in Ohio State. Does and, that mean that like every person who voted for the AP voted Ohio State number one? Yes. Wow, yeah, that is a rare thing. Yes, and uh, so, you know, and there's so many people that, that like to bash the preseason polls and think they're a terrible idea and they get all bent out of shape because, you know, preseason polls have in the past particularly, you know, set up teams for, you know, greater opportunity just because of where they started the season. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you you can't have a preseason poll and then magically after week one or two dramatically shift where people are. And historically, that had never been the case. You know, if you were seventeenth and the team in front of you lost, you moved up to sixteenth. And it, it, and it doesn't, uh, you know, and it didn't always correlate. There were teams that frankly played poorly but just kind of kept climbing up the polls because they didn't lose, right? right. Even though even though when you observe them with your own eyes as a fan, you could tell that they weren't playing you know, top 10 level football, but they were number eight because number eight lost last week and they moved into that spot. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a, always been a big debate about preseason polls. I think they're a great thing because they generate so much conversation and interest and they're kind of a, you know, um, uh, you know, an exciting thing. And the fact that they actually have some relevance because they do kind of start the pecking order early on our season uh, is not a bad thing. I think particularly now that we have a, a college football playoff. It's interesting as a compromise to that how uh, it takes five or six weeks before the legitimate uh, numbers start coming out, or at least that's how it was you know, under the BCS system where they would combine the coaches poll and the AP poll to create you know, the actual national ranking, but they would wait on that until... Uh, five or six weeks in so that that week one uh, numbers, those week one preseason polls aren't like affecting 
those important uh, decisions. That, that is true. And with the college football committee, it, it's just one data point and doesn't have near the significance it used to. Uh, but, but it's still fun to have them. And, you know, it's, it's debate, it's uh, coffee discussion at the coffee table, uh, you know, uh, and the water cooler at work. So I, I love that part of uh, this time of year because the excitement and anticipation is so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't really looked at any of the preseason polls. Is Nebraska ranking in like in the 20s at all? Or are we not even on the radar? We are not even on the radar. <laughs> I see. Well, from from a certain perspective, that can be a good thing because it kind of gives like you a chip on your block. You know, you have something to prove to people. That, that's true, and, and we have certainly been in those polls in previous years when we probably shouldn't have been, given what we had returning. And, and now this year, uh, we haven't earned that right, so to speak, to be there at the beginning, especially with all the question marks. I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you in particular, you always kind of, you kind of pref- you'd prefer to be underhyped than overhyped, certainly. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we could move on to, uh, you know, just season outlook, you know, and, and uh, what I wanted to, to mention with that, Alex, is, is uh, you know, we are uh, on the precipice of what I think is going to be a, a great year of college football. Last year was, was, was uh, historic because it was the first year with the college football playoff and, frankly, probably couldn't have played out for the sport any better than it did. I mean, the team that effectively went in as the number four team ends up winning the whole thing uh kind of a you know a team coming from behind everybody likes that kind of a story and ohio state certainly filled that bill last year but now this year you have the complete opposite where now ohio state with all these talents talented players returning you know emerges as this super favorite Uh, but there's quite a number of teams that look to be legitimate contenders for that group of four at the end Uh, and so it's really exciting as you look at the season yeah, and then I was just going to mention that I don't know about like last year's like in terms of the whole season, but certainly in terms of the postseason, you know, the, I agree with you. The way that uh, championship played out really couldn't have gone any better in terms of being like a dramatic and you know compelling uh, storyline. You know, if if you want to look at it that way, absolutely. And, and that's what that group and, uh, and the sport needed to kind of justify their decisions. And, and I think that they, they got what they were looking for, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately that will translate to dollars and cents. Yeah. Uh, but the overall season outlook, I just think, it, you know, even if you look at the, the uh, interconference games that are going to occur in the, during the non-conference portion of the season, uh, there's just so many great matchups that appear to be coming in, which is another result of the two or three year, you know, window that has already played out here where people were anticipating this 14 playoff and that strength of schedule was going to be a major factor. So teams have strengthened their schedule. They've, they've sought out marquee names and marquee games to play in their non-conference more so than I think they have in the past. Right. Which I would definitely agree is a good thing just as a fan of the sport, because you know, you, On the one hand, as like a fan of your team, you might like the easy W of playing Joe Schmo University, but at the same time, just as a fan of college football in general, you you don't care about Joe Schmo University. You know, you want to see your powerhouses 
play each other. Correct. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And th- there's a bunch of implications there, and that's a whole other subject. But, uh, you know, one topic that uh, we, we talked about and we wanted to, to at least bring up, and again, I think this is something that deserves a, a more in-depth conversation down the road, but, but I wanted to mention it now because I kind of want to get ahead of the curve. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, frankly, that from a national media standpoint, there has not been more discussion about the very specific and mundane details of what is referred to as the cost of attendance. And so uh, for those who may not know exactly what that term means, it's the fact that uh, as a result of all the uh, various legal issues and legal battles that have been going on in recent years with the, with, with the uh, you know, use of people's images uh, on uh, NCAA football uh, uh, video games and, uh, and the, uh, the efforts at Northwestern to, uh, to unionize, the, the whole focus on paying players or finding a way to pay players has led us to this point where we're going to see among the uh, uh, that Power Five conference at least uh, a, a some kind of a stipend-based uh, payment structure that provides cost of attendance to the student athlete. Now, the untold story, the the um, uh, difficulty that this is going to create is that they're going to come up with some. They've all agreed to do it but the details of how they're going to execute it and how they're going to adjust for the difference in cost of attendance for, say, a place like the University of Nebraska, since this is what we're talking about, versus, say, University of Miami down in, in, in Coral Gables, Florida, right? Mm-hmm. The, obviously, the cost to live down there in Florida is a lot more than it is in Lincoln, Nebraska, okay? But, you know, you can play games with that number, and, 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 and in a four-year period of time, the difference between those two cost of attendances could be substantial. And I guarantee you that cost of attendance, every school is going to be trying to find a way to maximize that number in terms of cost of attendance, while at the same time, supposedly, it's going to be counterbalanced by the academic and admissions department because whatever they decide that number is, has to be the published number that they use for recruiting the general student athlete or general students, not the athletes. So, you know, the, the, the school is not is going to want that number to be as low as possible so, they're, so that their uh, published, you know, uh, tuition cost is low, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but at the same time, the, the, the schools are going to want the opposite. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, I was just thinking the only way I could see that working is if you just had like one really complicated algorithm or something that like took into account like, you know, minimum wage and like average living expenses for like these cities and like all these some a bunch of statistics that you could like input in based on which city you're in or whatever, what state or whatever, and like come out with a number at the end and that that would be what you'd get you know it has to be something like that because if you make it too subjective then like you say it can be abused really easily if if you leave it up to the institutions or even the conferences then individual conferences are going to have dramatically different interpretations uh of how much that should be Mm -hmm. and it's going to create uh another escalating uh you know avenue for the uh the the war in recruiting 
And I, so I'm telling you that the untold story right now is that this cost of attendance decision that supposedly has already been made, we're definitely doing it, is that the formulaic aspect of this is going to be an absolute recruiting disaster. And, and people are going to try to find ways to manipulate it. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to, again, likely hurt the University of Nebraska and other low population, low cost uh, uh, college communities where they're not going to be able to match. And I guarantee you, when, when, when the University of Miami is dangling an extra $10,000 in four years uh, in front of a player who, who has never had money in his life, uh, they're going to do the math, and I guarantee you those recruiters are going to be bragging about it. Oh, yeah, because, because we live in Miami, uh, you know, the, the food cost that we get to give for a per diem is $15 more than it is in Lincoln. So, of course, you want to come with us because then you can eat at McDonald's and you can pocket that extra 15 bucks or that extra 20 bucks every day mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. There are so many ways that that can be used as an angle in recruiting. Yeah, no, it's... It's so anyway, that, that's always been the danger of that to me because, like, I agree that like the whole, the fact that like these players don't get you know paid anything you know particularly for the ones who, you know, have uh, have stakes because they're star superstars or whatever, and then the fact of just that these athletes like can't it's really hard for them to have like jobs because they're so busy between school and doing the football work you know, that's required for a college athlete that sometimes they need that financial help, you know, and their backgrounds oh, I, and all that. I agree, Alex. I, I think cost of attendance is a necessity. It should, that stipend should already be there. Uh, my argument is I think the way that they have decided to go about trying to establish a varying cost of attendance for every school or every region or whatever is, is poised to be a disaster. Yeah. And, there's another implication of cost of attendance that I wanted to mention, and then we'll get off this subject and we'll come back to it again, maybe in another podcast, uh, even in, during the off season. Uh, but uh, the other point that's key here is the day that that information goes into a definitive play and the, the, and it's published in any way, I guarantee you that there's going to be a, a dozen or more um, uh, legal documents filed. Uh, claiming Title IX, and immediately this is going to go beyond the football student athletes, and it's going to it's going to be forced upon every student athlete, and and that's the fear that these institutions have is yes they can afford to pay X number of dollars for the you know uh, 85 college football players, and maybe the uh, and and the basketball players you know the the 13 or 15 college basketball players that are on scholarship. But they don't want to have to do it for the 1,500 student athletes that they have at their institution. But mm-hmm. Title IX, I guarantee you, is going to force them to match athlete for athlete, man versus woman. And once they do that, then where do you draw the line? Pretty soon, the wrestlers, the the the, the crew team, anybody who's receiving scholastic uh, or athletic scholarship is going to be getting part of the the, the pool. Mm-hmm. And, right. And that it's, opens right. It's open huge the floodgates. floodgates. Yeah. And that's huge money, and, and it's going to make it, even the big schools are going to bite their lip at that chunk of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so that's that's. I just well, wanted to get it out there so that we're kind of uh, ahead of the curve. I think we are. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of discussion nationally that I've heard about this subject. That's a topic we'll definitely revisit again down the road. 
I just wanted to kind of get us in there. Uh, and so um, I have got all fired up because of that, Alex. And so I think I'm ready to open my cold beer here to chill out. Yeah. It is our tradition. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Did you hear that? I, yeah, I heard it. Um, one thing real quick before we move on to the Big Ten discussion, I wanted to touch on with that, what we were talking about, the, the season outlook uh, for yes. this year. Um, I just think it's interesting just based on some of the discussion I've been hearing, you know, on like uh, college football radio and stuff. Uh, it just seems like this Ohio State team seems like a team that if all goes according to plan, as it were, uh, could be like a, a historically like powerhouse football team. Like people seem to have very high expectations for how talented they are. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. They're, they're certainly set up, and the expectations couldn't be higher. Obviously, a unanimous preseason poll is a reflective of that. And, and I, I think I mentioned to you before, Alex, uh, that I believe that they have a chance to duplicate what Nebraska did in 94 and 95, where that 95 team, that second consecutive national champion, was a team that many regard as one of the best, if not the best, college football of all time because they dominated everybody and just blew through the whole season. And then, uh, you know, we're challenged by a team that many thought were, uh, many thought was the team that was going to knock them down. And then they just crushed them. And, and I could see Ohio state going on a run like that because their schedule sets up pretty nicely that, that way they have a couple of major tests as, as you go through the season, uh, an early test, a mid season test. And then of course the, the Michigan game at the end is always tough and then a Big Ten championship game. So they're going to have those three or four games where they're going to get a ton of national press and uh, focus, and they're going to have legitimate opponents, you know? Right, which transitions us nicely into our uh, Big Ten topic we want to talk about, just talking basically about Ohio State and Michigan State, who are pretty much unanimously considered to be the top two teams in the conference this year, the ones who are most likely to meet each other. Or I, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I was about to say meet each other in the championship, but Michigan State's in the same conference, in the same division, so that's not going to happen. But you know, Correct. it's their their matchup. That game is going to determine a lot of what happens in the uh, in the East, or is it West? No, it's East. I was right. <laughs> it, yes, it is East, and and I agree with you. OSU and MSU are going to be. Uh, both uh, appear to be dominant teams, uh, and I don't think there's a huge gap or difference between them except in depth. I believe OSU is way deeper than MSU. Mm-hmm. But if their if their uh, front guys make it through, then their first teamers, then it would be a tough game. I, absolutely. I mean, if both of those teams show up at that game, uh, healthy and undefeated. Uh, each of them will have beaten significant opponents already. In the case of MSU, they will have already beaten um, uh, Oregon, and they would have beaten us, for example. And uh, uh, you know, Ohio State would have already beaten you know Virginia Tech, and I don't know their schedule well enough, but possibly a Penn State uh, or something like that, even before they play MSU. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing we wanted to talk about in terms of the Big Ten was um, just the importance of these early games. Because I know with both uh, 
Michigan and Nebraska off the top of my head, uh, our first game of the season uh, is not it's not a throwaway you know non-conference team. They are legitimately difficult uh, games. Yes, in fact, the uh, for example, for Nebraska, we we start the season with BYU, which is going to be a top twenty-five team uh, in most most people's eyes. So. So they're a team that's coming in ranked, and we won't be. So that would suggest that they're going to beat us, even though a lot of the Vegas people still have us as the favorite because we're at home. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but not just Nebraska. If you look across the landscape, the Big Ten has a huge uh, series of games here in the, in the uh, early non-conference season. You've you've got in, just in that first weekend alone, you've got. Uh, Michigan going out and playing at uh, Utah, a team that they lost to like 28 to 10 last year in Ann Arbor. And so a team that's, and you know, I mean, uh, Harbaugh's first game, you, know, you can imagine the hype's already started. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, and then you've got Minnesota playing TCU, uh, which is a huge deal. And then you've got Wisconsin playing Alabama uh, and uh, let's see here. Uh, what else do you have? You have uh, Ohio State playing Virginia Tech, um, and then us playing BYU, and and that's that's kind of the best of them. But then you've got later on, you've got Michigan State playing Oregon. You've got us going down and playing Miami at Miami, uh, you know. And uh, Phil Steele picked Miami Hurricanes as the the uh, number one most improved team on his analysis, you know, pool. So he he believes that Miami is going to be the most improved team in college football this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, you know that's another big game for us. And and then uh, Michigan plays BYU in like game three um, as well. I believe that is at Michigan. And um, so there's just quite a number of great great seasonal matchups. Uh, I know Penn State has a, a, a nice matchup. Although I think they are expected to pretty much, I think they have like six home games in a row, so Penn State should have a good early start. But <laughs> bottom line is there's a ton of really great games in this early uh, season for the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of going into that, what we were talking about earlier with how uh, just teams in general are playing a little tougher non-conference, I kind of hope just as a fan of college football, this trend will kind of continue with like how we've had these uh, games that are like the first in the first week of the season, like matching up two like top ten quality opponents. You know, I like I like having a start with a bang, as it were. You know, I think that's a good a good way to get the ball rolling. No, I I agree, and I I think it's an out it's an outburst or an outtake of of this change to a college football playoff. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, now to transition us into the Nebraska portion of the podcast, um, we actually had a comment on our uh, website, which you can find at uh, footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. We had Steve leave a comment. Uh, He asked, uh, he said, uh, good job again, guys. How many losses before uh, TA is is replaced and won't be Bush or Darlington? When he says T.A., he's talking about Tommy Armstrong, of course, Nebraska's quarterback. That's correct. And, uh, you know, I think I can make the quick answer. I think Tommy Armstrong is by far our best option. 
at quarterback, and I, I think that uh, he won't be replaced. If he has to be replaced, it's likely going to be because of injury um, rather than ineffectiveness. If he's ineffective, I think they'll probably still live with him because they're still going to perceive that he is by far the best choice they've got. Mm-hmm. So, it's not that the other guys don't have talent. They're just too inexperienced right now. Inexperienced, right. And, and or there are certain aspects uh, that they can't bring that Tommy does. I mean, Tommy is a true dual threat um, and uh, and also has, you know, some – I mean, this is his third year as a starter. Mm-hmm. At, at this point, Tommy's, you know, been around the block a little bit. Yeah. I, I do – I believe it was – yeah, it was on um, uh, when Riley was inter- in, interviewed on the Big Ten Network. I saw that. I watched that video. And I thought it was interesting how he was saying that, like, just kind of praising Tommy a bit when they asked him about him um, and how he's, like, a really good leader in the locker room. You know, the guys seem to respect him. And obviously that might just be Riley praising his quarterback, but I'm led to believe that he is that – kind of leader type which i think is good because our previous quarterback you know taylor martinez wasn't always the best at you know inspiring that kind of confidence from his teammates right winning the locker room so to speak right Mm -hmm. yeah no i i I absolutely agree with that and uh um you know alex i I do want to mention if there is an easier way that we can uh get people you know if they just go to potomatic right or potomatic.com right um and just go there and, and search on college football throwdown they'll they'll get everything that they need right or football oh, yeah. Throw- yeah yeah if you search college football throwdown you on potomatic's website you'll find us you'll find us and that's the key is just to make it as easy as we can um you know uh so i guess to answer his question he wanted to know whether it was going to be aj or or uh um a Darlington, and, and clearly from this, the fall practice, it would suggest that it's going to be Riker Fife or A.J. Bush, and and, and uh, sounds like Darlington is probably at least another year away from being a serious contender in the quarterback battle. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, um, unfortunately, we've had a number of injuries to our uh, precious Cornhuskers since the last time we did a podcast. One of them, uh, you know, debilitating injury because of how important he is to our team right and it seems like every year this happens and so i always kind of cringe when uh when we get to this time of year because it's inevitable that you know the team's going to lose some players and it, and it seems that nebraska has certainly had in these last six to eight years some an uncannily uncanny bad luck when it comes to their very best players i mean i could go back through the history of uh, 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 preseason or early season injuries to to uh, Jared Crick, uh, um, you know, who was just after basically ever since Indomitian Sue graduated, you know, every season since then, the player that was regarded as one of our best players, if not our best player on either offense or defense, was injured and gone for significant periods of time or simply played, had was forced to play at at significantly below 100% the rest of their season and and ended up having really mundane senior seasons because of it. Mm -hmm. And including as recently as last year where, frankly, if Amir Abdullah doesn't get hurt, uh, you know, in in his senior season, he might very well have found himself at that Heisman Trophy ceremony as well. Yeah, for sure. So, 
But it's just one of those things. It's the nature of it. Every team has the injuries. I'm, I'm not trying to woe as Nebraska. But it's just one of those things that I think as you, as fans go through this time of year, it's that you're, you're hitting the websites every day to see, oh, gosh, did we, get, did we make it through another day without, without sustaining a major injury? And I think as coaches now, they're, they're, they're holding guys out with light, fairly light injuries or light dings in an effort to try to, uh, fr- frankly, uh, figure out what, where they are on depth-wise uh, with the second, and third, and fourth teamers, but also to keep those first stringers from getting too banged up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was, I was surprised. I remember once you told me that, like, the although the in the NFL they practice a lot more in terms of hours than they do in the uh, in college, they have even less contact practice, like a, a ridiculously small amount, really. It, it really is, and that that has become governed by um, you know uh, NFL Players Association and their union contracts uh, of uh, that puts some limits on the amount of contact practices and full pad practices that they can have over the course of a season and it's and it's a surprisingly small number at this point mm-hmm. uh, which is probably part of why i think tackling as a general rule is is deteriorating in the sport uh because I, I can tell you again going back to the tom osborne era you know they had a lot of physical practices and, and a lot of contact and frankly tom tom's philosophy was you know the, the more the better for the most part with regard to uh, full pad practice and tackling to the ground and all that, he used to embrace that. He wanted his quarterbacks to get hit. Right. So going with that, then would you are would you would you argue that like we had we didn't have as many injuries like this during the Osborne era, just because either because our strength and conditioning was better, or just because we had the depth that if we lost a guy, we had an, somebody just as good or, or nearly as good to replace him so it wasn't as big of a loss i'm gonna say both but if i had to pick one i was i would say it's about depth you know back in the day uh you had a freshman team freshmen were ineligible uh and didn't play so they had that year to get physically mature and kind of catch up with the rest of the athletes that they were going to be playing against and Mm. and they played their own jv or freshman team uh schedule uh and so you were dealing with more mature athletes and and there was more depth because there was more scholarships and so you had more scholarship players so your depth was not as as thin and so i think all those things allowed coaches to have that additional repetition Mm -hmm. um and and they they took advantage of it um but there were still a lot of injuries then no question about it right and then the, the last thing we wanted to talk about was just kind of where Nebraska stands right now as a result of these injuries and what we've been hearing out of fall practice from the coaches in terms of where we're doing well and where we're struggling a little and uh, how our team is shaping up for, you know, the first game here in a couple of weeks. Well, I think, uh, I think uh, some interesting things that have come out of fall camp, Alex, is that for Nebraska anyway, it is, uh, you know, one area of, of strength, uh, that everybody expected was the defensive uh, line, particularly defensive tackles, and I think that is uh, is still true. Uh, I think an area of concern going into fall practice was linebacker play, and I think they actually feel quite a bit better about that now than they did, uh, you know, at that time. So they've seen some of the kind of uh, emergence and growth that they were hoping for out of the linebacker group, including a lot of young guys, maybe even as many as two freshmen. 
that are going to play significantly uh, and maybe even uh, be starters uh, in that linebacking group, uh, at least in certain situations. And then, um, and then from a weakness standpoint, um, uh, so that's on the defensive side, I guess, on the strength side. Uh, on the weakness side for the defense, I think that uh, uh, defensive end is a position that they felt uh, okay about going into camp. Had a couple of uh, guys that were good, uh, that were already you know somewhat experienced, uh, and they were anticipating you know some some emergence of, of younger players, and I don't think they've seen that. So I, I think that those who've observed practice would would suggest that the defensive end is is an area of great concern for us, and we're going to have to have that plays out. And there's some things that the coaches can do to kind of mask that and kind of overcome that. And some of those involve moving some players around, uh, taking some defensive tackles, making defensive ends, doing some um, additional blitzing with your linebackers. There's a variety of things you can do, especially if those defensive ends are just sound with their technique. If they can just be neutral, they can neutralize things and not be the great pass rushers. There's other ways you can get to the quarterback. But right. all of them involve risk. You know, uh, Secondary-wise, I think we're looking pretty good in the secondary. Everything seems to suggest we're going to be good there. Now, if I shift over to the offensive side, um, but before I do that, I should maybe give you the floor and uh, give me your thoughts and your questions. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been following like the injury reports and the day-to-day practice updates like you have, um, so I'm not really as up-to-date on what's going on there. Um, but I think it's good to hear that our, because I know you and I have talked in the past about how linebackers was going to be like a big concern for us. And I'm happy to hear that, you know, that hopefully, cross our fingers, won't be as much of an issue as we were at first expecting. Um, so that definitely has me uh, with some confidence, but I'm more concerned about uh, consistency on the offense because I like a lot of things about Tommy Armstrong but I really do hope that he's made some leaps and bounds over the course of this offseason in terms of being more consistent as a passer and just improving his decision-making. Because if he can improve both of those, uh, he could definitely be a really good quarterback for us. Yeah, uh, you know, I kind of agree with you, Alex. I think his physical skills are really quite impressive, both both as a thrower and as a runner. But um, the issue is his consistency and his decision-making. And the fact that he's coming into a new offense obviously kind of puts him back to ground zero on the whole confidence and re- repetition and, and comfort level. But but he's also been there, done that. He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot of, of defenses and that sort of stuff, so you'd like to think that, that the game will slow down a little bit for him. And actually, as we come out of fall camp and start getting into the throws of week one, week two, I think some early success for Tommy would do wonders for him in terms of his confidence and how he goes about executing things. He would just be much more calm. Um, so uh, I'm looking for that maturity as well. I don't think it's necessarily shown in, you know, wow, isn't he playing fabulously? But I do get a sense that it's starting to come for him. So as long as he doesn't get hurt and he maybe experiences some early success against BYU and, you know, some of these other uh, non-conference games, the Miami game certainly, uh, if he could get through those two games with victories and, and play well, not spectacular, but well, I think that that bodes very well for his performance going throughout the season. What, what I'm more concerned about offensively is we've been devastated by injuries to wide receivers, and it continues you know, throughout the whole of fall camp. 
including losing the morning Pearson L, of course, but, but also just a variety of other players from that position that have missed significant time, uh, guys that were expected to contribute. Uh, and so that'll be interesting to see how they hodgepodge that together and make it work. I have a feeling we're not going to look super precise and efficient early in the season against BYU. You know, we're going to we're going to see a lot of fits and starts where we we have a few plays where we look like we really know what we're doing and then there's going to be some plays where we don't. So so uh, you know, we're going to have to have some big plays to score points cuz I'm not sure we're a team that's going to line up and march it down for a 12 or 13 play drive uh, to score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's not going to yeah, well, it's, it's certainly a tough situation dealing with the fact that you've got a new coaching staff, a new offense, as well as, you know, these injuries to overcome. Uh, and plus, you know, playing a decently difficult, you know, non-conference schedule at the beginning of the season. All of that is uh, certainly going to be a challenge for Nebraska, but not an insurmountable one, I don't think. I would agree. And I think if our offensive line comes along and we're able to kind of lean on really a stable of running backs. We're not going to have one guy replace Amir Abdullah. We're going to have probably three or four players that are going to all get certain number of snaps and opportunities uh, out of the running game. Uh, and uh, and we've got great talent there. We really do. It's just that not any one of them has, has, has separated themselves clearly from the, from the others. Now, as we go through this non-conference schedule, we may see one of those players begin to emerge. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, it's an exciting time to be a college football fan. You know, the long wait, nine months, is finally creeping to a close. So we'll have to look forward to uh, the, the big kickoff that's coming well, up that's, here. That's right. Well, and, and I'll, I'll finish with this, Alex. You know, I, I, I rewatched the uh, Iowa game, the Nebraska-Iowa game from late last season. And it was so hard to watch. It ended up being a victory, and it was a celebrated victory and all that. It was miserable to watch that game and to watch. At times, we looked very effective and efficient, like we were in total control. And other times, we just looked awful, awful against them. And um, um, it just kind of pointed out the, the kind of the, the, the ongoing issue with our previous coaching staff. There just was n- no way to anticipate how they were going to perform from week to week, even from series to series. What I'm looking forward to is that hopefully this coaching staff will get us to a point where you can go into a game knowing, okay, our defense is going to, going to do these things fairly well and consistently. And our offense is going to do these things fairly consistently. They're not going to score every time. They're not going to do this, but, but they're going to be predictably good, you know, Uh, and if we get that, I, I think y- y- it'll be so much more enjoyable to watch because there will be that kind of expectation that you can grow to be confident is going to happen. Yeah, I kind of agree that a prediction I might have for this upcoming season and with Riley in general is that he might not, because honestly, Bo's start his first year where he got us to nine games, like we were pretty ecstatic about that at the time after coming off a horrible year with Bill Callahan. Um, and I'm not sure if, because of the circumstances and just Riley as a coach and all that, if he'll be able to duplicate that level of success. Um, but it certainly is within the reach of, po- reach of possibility. I feel like maybe instead of like this team where we have like bursts of greatness, but then like bursts of 
horribleness like we you know would have our big meltdown games you know like against wisconsin and stuff in the past uh maybe we'll see a team that's like not as great right out of the gate but they're more more consistent as we get more time and more repetitions and they learn the system and everything we'll see that improvement that's what i would like to see and I think we will see that too. I really do. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for the season to get here. Uh, we will hopefully have one more podcast before the first game. By the way, uh, your old old man and 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 uh, the rest of your family <laughs> will be in Lincoln, uh, present and accounted for to watch that game. You're going to just have to hang out there at a Husker bar in in California and uh, and watch it. And I'm sure we'll be in touch. But hopefully we'll be able to do a uh, another podcast here before the game uh, next week, and we'll be able to run our uh, run a prediction at that time and, and do some other fun things. This one has run a little longer than we wanted, uh, yeah. but well, uh, we're covering a lot. A good, yeah, we covered a lot of ground, and and now that we're getting into the season, I think we're going to probably have to hone down the national discussion and and really focus a little bit more on uh, Big Ten and. Uh, nebraska specifically because now we're gonna have games to talk about right all right very good well if you guys out there enjoyed this podcast you can email us at uh, huskerpeat13 at gmail.com you can check us out on itunes we're college football uh throwdown or on podomatic as we said football throwdown.podomatic.com uh leave us a review or a comment subscribe you know all those sorts of things. We like hearing constructive criticism from our uh, listeners. So I want to thank all you college football fans out there for listening to episode six of College Football Throwdown. And we will hopefully see you guys in a week's time. Sayonara. Thank- Sayonara. Thanks, buddy. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.